most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of What Most People Think. Did you, did you have a good Easter? Did you? Because it really felt like we needed an Easter, didn't we? I mean, if there's one thing I felt we needed at this point in 2020, in the year of the corona, was a bit of just sitting around at home, you know, just watching some films, spending some time with close family, just, you know, just connecting, winding down and not having anything to do. How thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that Easter. Um, uh, listen, man, it is it's strange times. I mean, getting fatter as well, getting fat. I don't like we had that thing like when you're in middle age, you, you can't just do a couple of Easter eggs. You will see that in your face the following day. So me and my wife, we had a we had a couple of Easter eggs that none of us, neither of us apparently eaten, but they are just sitting on the side, gradually getting smaller. So I don't know if you're having the same thing where you are. Uh, we had a bit of socialising uh, over Easter. We had um, we had a Zoom party, and because of my friends. Uh, just just being a top bloke and his technical expertise, he set up two rooms because a lot of my friends, we like dance music, we like house music. So we had we had one room for chat and then we had one room for uh, dancing. And it was great. Like it was, it genuinely felt like we had a night out. The only thing it did feel was like, like I was dancing for a webcam. I felt ironically way more self-conscious um, dancing <laughs> like as a tiny little thumbnail on someone's screen. I felt pressure to perform and uh, who knows if they'd have made little donations I would have taken off a bit more but uh, my wife she got ready for it I, di- I didn't expect that like she properly got ready and and I think that this has probably been happening up and down the country is uh is that women miss getting doled up you know like they want to they actually like they've always moaned about it, and they're, oh god get ready I've got to decide what to wear turns out doesn't it turns out they love it they love all that she come downstairs wearing heels and stuff great good for her good for her she looked fantastic and uh, yeah, we had a night out in. And this is the question now. It's like, how much of this um, is going to stick around when we finish lockdown? Because a lot a lot of middle-aged people have found that they've had better social lives since uh, since lockdown started. I've probably connected with a few more people. Um, so th- I wonder if industries will come in to this now, whether you'll have like some wanky online party planner guy like, do you realise you could put these backgrounds in? Or there's some really amazing filters out there that you guys could use. So let's see. But then, you know, never under- underestimate the, the power of human beings to learn incredible life lessons in stress and trauma and then forget them really shortly afterwards. Um, so if this is your first time tuning in the show, it is uh, What Most People Think with me, Jeff Norcott. And uh, we are, yeah, we are this week... Um, you know, generally I'm coming at it right and centre politically and stuff like that. I've perhaps dialed that down a little bit in lockdown, but um, it sort of made a resurgence last week because certain things were pissing me off. And I, I don't know if you've heard the episode with Simon Evans, but that was a belter. People really like that. I could tell by Good Friday, I can tell by the rate you guys download stuff, just how many of you were already climbing the fucking walls, right? Oh, I just swore. So that means we have a, a, a weekly cuss count here. And uh, my man David Domain, uh, he, David Domain, me and David email now, but David Domain sounds like a sort of 70s funk artist, doesn't it? David Domain, uh, he has been sending me in because I was trying to tone down the swearing, and then some people asked me where the swearing had gone. So now I'm just keeping track of it. And maybe it's because I was talking to Simon, but I seem to have reined in the swearing last week. Uh, we had three fucks, three fuckings, one bollocks, one shit. <laughs> It always makes me laugh when I read out these. And one cunt. <laughs> and um, 
it'd be great. <laughs> just reading them out in a really uh, a really sort of formal style. You remember the commentator Barry Davis? He was brilliant. I used to love Barry Davis. What a wonderful commentator he was. And maybe if he can read out these swears, it'd be three fucks, three fuckings, one bollocks, one shit, and one cunt. And Simon Evans had a fucking, and he said, I don't know if we count that or not. I think we do count that or not. I mean, a fucking from Simon Evans, I think a posh guy fucking is actually... Anyway, I'm swearing a lot. Sorry if you're already playing this with people listening now. I'll dial it down a bit for the next few minutes at the very least. Um, so I, I just a heads up early on, I am going to be doing a Patreon for the podcast because I'm doing it weekly now. Uh, we've been having um, a chat with advertisers and stuff and they all want a lot for the... You know what I mean? They want a little bit of say. You know, they want to know what the content's going to be. And I thought the whole point of this podcast, right, was that you just... you It's a bit freer. You know what I mean? I'm not constricted to to answering to people. And, you know, the moment they hear that you're right-wing, they think you're some sort of Nazi, right? So I'm going to do a Patreon, and I need you guys to... Those of you that can afford it, obviously... Ah, some of you just get in debt. What the hell? But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to start that soon. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes up on Friday of this week, the, the Patreon will be there. So I'm going to hype that again in a little while. And, um, yeah, it'd be great to get some support on that. And the other thing I'm thinking this week is to talk about stuff other than lockdown. You know, I've, I've spoke about it a little bit here and there. But it does feel like I'm wanting to get my brain outside of this tiny little bubble. Uh, I mean, I'm never. I mean, I, I never thought I could hate graphs more than I did during GCSEs. Do you know what I mean? All these twats online. Well, these nerd stat, these stat, COVID stat nerds. What has happened to your life? Every day, right? There's people waiting for those daily mortality tolls, aren't they? Like the like the three fifteen from Kempton. <laughs> Just sitting there, oh my God, this is an awful thought, but I bet you any money there's someone, there's a lads WhatsApp group somewhere that are running a book on it. They will be, won't they? Just just for their own entertainment. Um, God, this is a terrible thing to admit. But me and my mates, we, when we used to work in advertising, we used to have a thing called The Book of Death. And it was, uh, it was a long runner and you would just pick out, like we had a pool of celebrities and it would just be going on for ages as to who would die first. I know that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. But I, I guarantee you a modern, and there's a modern equivalent of that happening with the COVID stats. Um, yeah, I've been seeing lots of, uh, lots of nerding out over that kind of thing. People thinking that Boris made it up being ill so that he could rise again on Easter Sunday. I mean, Jesus Christ. Take your tinfoil hat off, you nutter. The, one, the worst thing about these conspiracy theorists, you know, one of them wasn't even a conspiracy theorist. It was, uh, it was a guy, like a quite a senior journalist from The Economist. You think, you must have got into, right, so hating the Tories and so hating Boris that you could think something like that. You know, like, where, to the point where, like, you're chuntering on about this stuff at home and then your missus is standing there going, he has lost his fucking mind. You know what I mean? Like, like you're an otherwise normal guy, but there's this one area where you are mad, absolutely mad. I remember it happened um, in 2017 with the awful uh, Manchester Arena bombings, and there were, there were several people online who genuinely thought that Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, thought that, they, that she had somehow orchestrated that to gain a boost in the polls, right? <laughs> wow. You know, these are people that, that were probably hate populism, right? They, they talk about, they never think about left-wing populism. You, you know, the idea that the press are always against them and it's always a conspiracy. But I guess the thing about conspiracy theorists is that they, they always get to think that the people in charge are a bit smarter than they really are. That's, that's the thing that I think. is I, I wish I had enough faith in Boris Johnson to think that he could have timed it, right? So he could go in, 
just like Jesus, <laughs> and then arrive uh, on the Sunday. What they forget was shortly after that, he was actually crucified on a cross by a baying mob. So who knows? Maybe it will track that story in the long run. Uh, we've also, I'm just getting these out of the way because we, we're not talking about, um, um, we're not talking about uh, lockdown stuff for the rest of the episode. But Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer, you're not saying I'm going to go now. He is, um, <laughs> he, he's been asked, he's sort of been doing this thing where he's, he's pushing the government gently to give an idea of, of an exit strategy for lockdown. And, he, and he, he won't own the position himself. That's the thing that bugs me. There's plenty of people that, that want to know how this thing is going to unravel, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of uh, orchestrated and organised way. But Keir Starmer's saying, look, I'm not saying we should do it now. I'm not saying we should do it now. We probably shouldn't do it now. I'm just saying when at some point... Because he feels like he should be doing something as a leader of the opposition. He should be holding the government's feet to the fire. And you go, well, you know what, Keir? Everyone says you're a bright bloke. You're the, you're the grown-up in the room. Let the grown-up talk. When, when do you think that lockdown should end, Keir? And, you know, he, he took issue with the uh, chief medical officer that said that he shouldn't be discussing lockdown at this point. All right, Keir, QC Starmer. Do you know what this feels like to me? This feels like his six tests over Brexit, right? He's trying to, like, wind up a little straitjacket. We might have discussed this a bit with uh, Simon, but I sort of feel like he's doing the same again. You know, if, if that's what you think, Keir, then take that position. I'd have a lot more respect for you <laughs> if you just went, you know what, fuck it, lockdown, done. Let's just go out there on the streets. Suck it and see. If that was the new Labour policy on lockdown. Suck it and see. Let's have it. He who dares. <laughs> or just that lockdown should never end. But well, this, this fanning around in the middle makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I want to... Um, just a quick thank you and a fuck you uh, before we carry on. But yeah, the rest of the episode will be... I'm going to do a quick bit about the Labour report, right? And then we're going to be going back in time a little bit. I want to talk about... Because a lot of people are talking about how... Um, this seems to be like one of the first global crises, crises since the credit crunch. So I, was just, I had a few memories about the credit crunch and, and stuff. So we're going to talk about that for a while. And also, I've never spoken on this podcast about going out to um, Afghanistan and doing gigs out there. So I just thought that maybe that would just be something different to talk about. So we will get to that. But before we do, um, just a quick thank you and a fuck you, which I do in every episode. Uh, I want to say thank you to streaming services. Can I just say, God bless you. God bless you, Disney+. Plus. Oh my God, I don't know what this would have been like if we hadn't had that kind of variety of cartoons and family films available. My son, my son is probably doing about four films a day. I mean, he's watched so much Minions, he now thinks I'm Gru. And I could probably get him to do some terrible stuff. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> um, but he watches so much of it. But we, you know, I, I really love this. On, on Disney Plus, there's new Star Wars cartoons. But some of them are ultra realistic and quite violent. And I wasn't really thinking too much about that. And we were watching Star Wars Rebels. And then I just noticed how often my son was headbutting me in the sternum afterwards. <laughs> if you've got a little boy, they just get this mad look on their face. Even if they're a bright little boy, that like something's taken over them. You know what I mean? Like the bloodlust, the testosterone is 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 surging through them. So I, I would say that that'd be my guideline. You know, like BBFC ratings is instead of like an age rating, it should be a how many times did your son like physically assault you in the hour after watching it? And I think that, you know, we've benched Star Wars Rebels, which is a shame, which is a shame. And just a fuck you, uh, a fuck you to the people. I went out earlier and I've got bad hay fever and people are looking at me when I sneezed. Because obviously people are just paranoid about health generally now. And I just want to say, like, sneezing is in no way 
like a symptom of this. There's no at no point has anybody said sneezing. Look around you people, okay? There's oilseed rape in the fields. There's blossom in the trees. Put two and two together. Do you know what I mean? This is it's not it's not a deadly contagion. If I can sort it out with some Benadryl, is it? Anyway, listen, man. Let's get on with the show. First up, we're going to talk about the Labour report. A quick one uh, on this, in case you haven't seen it. Labour, well, really, all they really needed to do at this time was be broadly around to kind of just just scrutinise the government gently and stuff. But they've managed to land this report uh, during the Corbyn years. And it's, uh, it's a report on the handling of the anti-Semitism inquiry. I mean, the fact that I'm struggling, I, I, broadly, I broadly stay across politics. And the fact that I'm struggling to explain to you what it is just shows how introspective and how inception-like the Labour Party have become. Is They've done a report into the report on anti-Semitism, right? And, it, and it's found that there were, and this is a surprise, there were factions within the Labour Party. I know, I know, I, don't, I, didn't, I was, was, not, was not aware of this. Factions within the Labour Party. And some of them were pulling in opposite directions, you know what I mean? Some of them didn't want Corbyn to win the election, which I would just say exhibits good sense. But, you know, admittedly, that isn't something, if you're working in a political party, that isn't something that you should be trying to achieve, you know. And it does shine a light on when John McDonald proudly said, well, you know, think about, think about the Tories, is they hate each other more than they hate us. Uh, no, John, you, you <laughs> the Labour Party, hate each other. They really, the two factions within the Labour Party despise each other. And now, you know, they've got the situation where Keir Starmer's had to call an inquiry into the leaks of the report on the report. And it just makes them look farcical. I know at this point in time, there are a lot of people that are legitimately quite surprised that the government, you know, are still increasing their support in opinion polls at a time where mortality rates are going up and there seem to be mishandlings in terms of PPE. But it's just a case of what, as it's always been with the Labour Party for the last however many years. You just look the other side, you go, it's just about competence. You go, yeah, the Tories are, have a lot of problems. You look at Labour Party, you go, I think, I don't see that being better. I really don't. You know, there's no doubt that Starmer has possibly got some more talented people forward to the front bench. Because, of course, under Corbyn, we did have the stale uh for power four, didn't we? We had uh, Corbyn, McDonald, Abbott, and Thornbury. Just no change. Corbyn, McDonald, Abbott, and Thornbury. He just, he just stuck with that the whole time because that's the truth: is that they hate, they hate each other in the Labour Party. And I, I, I don't see how, I don't see how that they can get out of this um, without splitting on some level. I know that like, the people who support the Labour Party that is a heart wrenching idea, but they're just never going to unite, are they? They're never going to unite behind one flag because there are because of this membership, right? I mean, you saw you saw at the last Labour Party conference, uh, you know, they started started up the chant, "Oh, Jeremy Corbyn!" Like they are, they have got tribal levels of loyalty to the Corbyn, and now, all right, some of them might accept that he's gone, but they're not going to accept it if 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 Labour start drifting towards that kind of like you know red Tory sort of area are they they're just not gonna and i think the labor party maybe should split and maybe they should they then learn to appreciate each other because they would just go right we need you to get these lot out of power i mean that should be obvious to them in opposition but it's like i've always said about labor party it's uh, it's like a game of football where the thing about them is it's not whether they actually get get to play the game of football the crucially important thing is whose ball is it <laughs> 
So just a hype uh, as promised. Two things really is the um, we've got another episode up of the thing I've been doing, Romish. If you're into Star Wars and the Mandalorian, or even you just want to see me and Romish talking bollocks, right? Because that's what it is, is men. We can't really talk about stuff. So what we have to do is we have to find metaphors that allow us to communicate what's really going on in our mind. We've done a couple of episodes uh, talking about the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. So. Um, so go, go and have a look at that YouTube. Romish and Jeff talk about The Mandalorian. It's the incredibly genius title that we gave it. And and yeah, hopefully by the time this episode's up, I will have the Patreon up and running. And it would be it would be great to get a bit of support because the, the truth is what I want to do is I want to carry on doing this weekly. I want to carry on doing this weekly um, once we come out of lockdown because I love doing it, but it, it has costs with doing it, each episode and kit and all that sort of stuff. And look at me giving it all the, giving it the oh yeah, and if you if you invest, then I'll invest back in the kit. I'm like, let's be honest, you know, I want to earn a bit of money for this. I, I, I can be honest with that uh, about you because I like doing it. And you know what I mean? There's no lawyers on this. There's no fucking edit. There's no producers. And maybe that's what made me decide this in the end. Is that, uh, last thing I needed is advertisers getting sensitive about me making a sick joke or even how many swears I do. You know what I mean? They might be doing a swear count, but taking off, you know, percentages of commission for everyone so so do go and look on patreon uh, jeff norcott uh, what most people think and and see if there's a donation available there that makes sense to you all right let's get on with the show okay we're going to talk about the credit crunch here that seems weird even to say it but like i said uh, earlier in the show i th- there does seem to be some parallels obviously not you know there was no virus at that time, unless it was the bankers, right, guys? Left wing humour, um, but yeah, yeah, the shit hit the fan. Now I, I was on, um, I was in Holland. It took a while. At that time, I was partying quite a lot. I wasn't very political at that time. You know, I was just doing the stand up circuit. I wasn't really thinking about these things, and it just was one of those things that crept up in the background. And I remember I was away. Uh, with Ian Stone, who's been on the podcast before, and we was on a beach in Crete, and he said, oh, fucking hell, Lehman Brothers have gone down, right? And I was like, what, what is a Lehman Brother? I did, I, instinctively, I sort of thought it might be like a um, like a wrestling <laughs> duo or something, Lehman Brothers, or like some sort of techno outfit from uh, Germany. But I, I, I didn't really know what was going on, and I just remember like, I remember it building up and it building up in, in the background. And I, it was the first time in a way that I'd felt like economic panic, you know, because I'd kind of, you know, I'd had poor times in my life, come back and then things had got tight again. And I was, you know, I was doing okay at this point, but there were the doomsday scenarios being touted around. And obviously, you know, with any of these kind of global situations, you you suddenly become aware of language that you had no clue about before, like uh, subprime mortgages and and liquid liquidity. I was about to say liquidity, but you're going, Jeff. We absolutely knew what that was before, but but I didn't know about these banks. I didn't know about these huge Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Again, I'm not having it that there were banks called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They sound like fucking Eurovision entries. But the um, but yeah, they start going down, and they're just you know, as always happens in the press, is that they they get on this, and it's probably like coronavirus to a point is that they they get to a point of of, of a sort of frothing at the mouth dystopia where you know it, at the time it literally seemed like like we were going to be. They kept on referring back to the Great Depression, which is what they're doing now during coronavirus, and um, and, and and the problem is the problem is with referring to the Great Depression is you have to remember that living standards were didn't start off fantastic then did they? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's not like that was a recent thing. 
the Great Depression. Like, you know, there was already, I've seen the photos, those blokes sitting on that, having their lunch on that iron girder sitting over the city. Health and safety wasn't an issue then, was it? It was alarming to hear it, but when you sort of thought about it, you thought, well, is it going to be that bad? I remember, I remember Gordon Brown, he obviously went and saved the world, apparently, but he did it. The problem for Gordon is he did it in a very boring way, you know, just with detail. So maybe he did act heroically in that situation, but I don't know if, like, it would ever stick in the public's mind because it was boring. Like Gordon, really. You know, I have no doubt he was a well-intentioned good man, but he was dull as fuck, right? He was dull as fuck. And... Um, but what happened was, and I don't know if this was the same experience for you, but but the, the one of the first effects was because I remember interest rates have been like sort of creeping up. Like I was on a I was on a, a tracker mortgage, right, and uh, it started go up. It was like yeah, you know, kept adding half a percent, half a percent, half a percent, and then it absolutely dropped through the floor. You know, it went down. I think mine went down to well, my my mortgage uh, payments halved, and then. Um, Obviously, being a club stand-up comic at the time, my petrol, my out, petrol was my main outgoing, and that that they went that went right down. I can remember like not not that long before that, we'd had like the fuel crisis and the the uh, the marches on Westminster because in Britain this is what we'll march for, right? We'll march for a legal war, fox hunting, or fuel, right? Up until Brexit, that was the only three things that we would engage in civil unrest for. And I remember them saying that, you know, petrol will never go back down under a pound. And, you know, it will be like two quid a litre. You know, just always, there's always somebody predicting the worst end. And they're normally the ones that you hear about, right? So that, about 30p a litre come off the price of fuel. And then, so a few, you know, a few months into the credit crunch, I was sort of having to concede that it was going all right. Do you know, like the comedy <laughs> circuit. Because what happened initially was people needed... People need a bit of a cheer up, didn't they? You know, it's like the good old days. You get outside, go down the dance halls, have a laugh. And old Blinky Burton sop with his uh, with his washboard, you know, make you laugh, make you feel better. And, and comedy is, and what a lot of people don't realise in the comedy industry is, as a night out, it is relatively inexpensive. You know, there was certainly when we had the club game going on. But what what has happened more now is they're all touring shows and they're all, you know, twenty five quid. Not mine, by the way. Surprise, surprise. The uh, yeah, the only. Tory out there, and who's got one of the lowest ticket prices? That's right, me. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's an economic strategy behind it. You know, 14 to 15 quid, that's because I want to get punters through the door. I want them to try the product and come back again. And then I'll absolutely fucking rinse them. But, by the way, on that note, ticket, autumn tour, still on sale. I mean, I know that might not be a priority, but if you want to have something to work towards in September, October, November... Then go online at Live Nation, have a look. God, this became the most shoehorned plug. The point was, despite the prevailing um, mood music of the time, I, I had more money in my pocket than I had. I was gigging quite regularly, and um, I, I didn't necessarily buy into all the, the narrative on the press, because obviously the press narrative, the bankers are evil, government's deregulated. But what they never really did uh, for my money was they never really put emphasis back on the people, right? Because there was a lot of people at the time who was getting 125% mortgages. Now, for me, th that should be a, a, a flag on the play in the first place, right? 125% mortgage, it's like vegan cheese. It's just one of those things that you should go, well, that's not a good idea. I don't see how that could work out in the long run. It, you know, you're, you're essentially gambling on the housing market just you know, improving exponentially, or, or you're going to, I don't know, unless you're going to build another bit in your house, make it 25% bigger. It, it, it was never something I'd have done. And if you did it, look, we're, a lot of people were doing it at the time. But what I'm saying is, is you've got to take a bit of responsibility for that, right? It's not, it's a risky strategy. And then 
when the news was on, you had all these people kind of going on telly, uh, going, uh, yeah, well, you know, we just we're, we're we're the victims here, you know. Well, our mortgage broker he, he said to us we could get one hundred twenty five percent mortgage, so we did. Like, well, you you still had a part in this, okay? <laughs> you were still able to just to just run that through your sort of uh, you know critical faculties and see whether or not that that seemed like, that could go tits up at any given point. And they also also as well, a lot of them were criticising their, their mortgage brokers, right? Because they were saying, oh, well, you know, well, he told us that he'd forge our, our payslips for us, and, and, you know, so we did. You still... If you're claiming to earn more money than you do, that means you're maxing yourself out and your credit card against this idea <coughs> of eternal growth. And, of course, it did, it did come crashing down, and a lot, of people were, a lot of people were, you know, saying that, right... You know, there was the idea that the right-wing press had fed this line that Labour caused a financial crash... I didn't think that. I just thought that, like, why the fuck were we running a deficit in the good times? You know, they didn't cause the crash, but they were certainly being, you know, they were certainly changing, like, the podcast they were listening to at 70 miles an hour, right? It wasn't their fault that somebody broke in front, but if they hadn't been changing the podcast and focusing on the road, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'll probably get, I'll probably get some lefty now, email me. By the way, if I'm chatting shit, which is a very strong chance of, you can always email me, uh, what most people think UK at gmail.com and take issue with things or just any letters or anything. I always love getting the letters, which we'll be coming to later in the show. Um, and yeah, I remember thinking at the time that that yeah, we would never come back from this. Do you know what I mean? That, that this was this new reality. It's the same as after September the 11th. You know, nothing would ever be the same again. And the truth is, is though both these events have had impacts on our psyche going forward. I mean, the main thing in September the 11th, never been the same again, was just how long it, how much longer you have to spend being in an airport. Whereas up to that point, maybe an hour and a half, it's probably three hours now. That has been the main... <laughs> Sorry, Al-Qaeda, but it was. I mean, obviously, if you was involved in, you know, the acts of terror themselves, of course, a lot more direct that impact. But for most people, that was the main impact, was, and mini, mini toiletries, right? Mini toiletries, which aren't all bad. There's something incredibly pleasing about small versions of bigger things. You can do your own jokes there. Um, so, yeah, I guess what I'm saying now is that with this recession that's going to happen... I mean, some 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 news outlets still going, Britain economy could be hit by not happening for three... Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fucked, isn't it? I mean, this quarter, it's not going to be a great quarter. I would say that this quarter, there'll be... There'll be parts of the Iron Age where GDP was higher than this quarter. I think we can just factor that in, can't we? And not act shocked about it. It's like the same with the mortality rates in Britain rising. Yeah, we kind of knew this was going to happen. It's a classic example of the British press that we saw something coming and we told, we warned it ourselves that it was definitely going to come. And yet when it came, we all ran around with our fucking pants down, shitting ourselves in public. Okay? So let's, let's, the thing about this recession is the fundamentals of the economy were good going into it. Luckily, joblessness was at a low level. And what the government did in terms of essentially hibernating a lot of the economy should be good. So what, what you could have is you could have one quarter where GDP down by 35%. Uh, and then the next one, could GDP up by 15%. And a record GDP growth. Admittedly, it was against this sort of Bronze Age time. But, you know, it will be GDP growth. So even though this wasn't supposed to be about lockdown... I guess what I'm saying, like, if you're one of these people that, that's worrying, especially if you're younger, right, and this is the first time that you've ever been through something like this, is that 
is that, you know, we will, you know, for the overwhelming majority of people, you know, and God bless the people who this, whose lives this has directly affected, we'll be all right. You know, we're lucky to live in a prosperous, liberal democracy and you will, you will be okay. You know, God, this became wanky in the end. But who, who am I reassuring at the end of the day here? I mean, let's be honest, if I didn't have a podcast, I'd still be in a room sitting there saying this to my fucking self. I just want to talk about something else now, which is um, the work that I did for the British Armed Forces out in Afghanistan. I know I don't like to bring it up. I hate to bring it up, you know, because then I have to talk about the medal that I got, the Operational Services Medal for performing in frontline bases on five successive tours and... You know, I just look. I the thing about hero. Pe- people say hero. It's a, it's a word that gets thrown around. But um, but yeah, I went out there. I went out there a lot, and um, it was an in- it was a real honour to do it. And oh, this is going to sound. People might go, "Oh, you what are you the new Jim Davidson?" But like working with the British Armed Forces out there. Like I remember at the time there was all this kind of left wing narrative that, about us being there. There were legitimate questions, but like people were talking about the actual British Armed Forces as like baby murderers and. And talking about it in really negative ways. And I, I got out. I'd already done some gigs for the armed forces uh, out in Cyprus uh, doing decom- uh, decompression weeks and at various sort of bases around the country. But I got out there and I just thought, like, what they say about the British armed forces is so true. You know, they are just, they are genuinely keep calm and carry on. You know what I mean? They're just, they're just not that fussed about anything. They're so relaxed. And when you see them up against the American ones, because on Camp Bastion, what a lot of people don't realise was that Camp Bastion had a lot of... Um, had like its own like uh, camp on it called Camp Leatherneck, and they were all walking around like, "Come on, yeah, fucking well, come on, yeah." And the British were like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, they were still, you know, a fighting unit. A lot of them. I mean, this is the other thing about the armed forces. A lot of them weren't. The amount of uh, the amount of military personnel it takes to get one person out of foot patrol is like. <laughs> You know, it's not like it's like roadies. You know, like it's like when you two are on tour. There's four. There's four fellas on stage, right? But there's a lot of other people who aren't, <laughs> who aren't on stage. And that's the same for the military. A lot of people go out there. You know, they often used to say that you'd face no more risk on Camp Bastion than you would in in Reading. And um, I don't know why they always use Reading. It used to change Bracknell. It, it's something to do with being in Berkshire, right? Um, but I went out there and I had a couple of particularly interesting situations there. One of which was. Um, we was out. Um, we was out in Lashkar, right? And which already sounds cool, doesn't it? It sounds like something out of Rogue One. But we was out in Lashkar, and um, they we Lashkar was the base that was right in the middle of the city, and they were having a call to prayer uh, while we were doing the show. We'd been told before that, right, that there would been a lot of issues around. There'd been the Quran burning thing recently, and there were a lot of heightened seven sensitivities. There were a lot of local interpreters that were working on the base, so just so you know, keep you know, keep it reasonably clean. Be sensitive around cultural issues, which makes sense, right? And then we were, so we were doing the show. Uh, I went on at the beginning. Uh, it was a nice, nice enough gig. The dancers, the dancers always did well. <laughs> I mean, this was 2013, right? So you got to understand. We had female dancers out on tour. I don't know if you could do that now. I think eventually political correctness meant that they had like a b-boy break dancer come in. And because it, like the audiences were almost oh, like 98% blokes, it just went very quiet during those bits. Don't get me wrong, some of the reasons it might have been quiet because people were quietly enjoying his manoeuvres. But um, but they went out. And then the second half, the singer went out. And he was uh, he, he was doing okay. And then um, and then he started tuning up his guitar and the call to prayer started, right? And um, 
And it's an amazing sound, right? You're out there, you know, doing the sear and heat and that exotic sound. It drifts in across the bass. Everyone kind of just quietly taking in the moment. And, you know, the guitarist sort of like strummed very gently along to the call to prayer, which, you know, might seem like it was dodgy, but it didn't feel culturally insensitive at the time. And then he said, all right, mate, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm trying to play Wonderwall, right? And I'm like, God, like it sort of got a laugh. You know, his laugh then goes to fuck all immediately, right? And uh, I was the comp here and I was standing by the stage and I had like the logo of the company that were providing these shows. And immediately, like I was surrounded by surrounded by local interpreters were like this is this is bang out of order do you know what I mean like this and I thought fuck we've got a situation here this wasn't that long ago that they had the Quran burning thing here so we got the uh, like one of the senior ranking guys I think it might have been the garrison sergeant major and we started to have a dialogue you know about how we could uh, atone for this for this kind of misstep and um, so we were saying like you know when I go back on I said as when I go back on as compare I'll, I'll make a full and unreserved apology. And they said, well, you know, obviously that that would be good. You know, that would be a start. I said, and obviously when I do the comedy, I'll, I'll try to refrain from any sort of cuss words or swearing or any anything along those lines. And they said, but that's also helpful. And then and then, uh, and then, then the Garrison Major said, and, and obviously, you know, uh, when we do restart the show, we won't have the dancing girls go back on. <laughs> and all the local interpreters, they looked at this guy and they went, uh, they looked at him as if to say, all right, mate, don't overdo it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we've got our faith, but uh, we're still human. You know, I'm just saying. Look, we got. We're not supposed to endorse it, but if there's dancing girls out there and we can't not look anywhere else, I'm just saying, think it through, boss. Oh my god, it was an amazing moment where you're just you're trying to straddle the line between all these cultural insensitivities and stuff, and then you just realise that well, blokes are blokes, you know, <laughs> by and large. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it it was an interesting show. But I might tell. I've got another story about. Uh, I've got another few stories about Afghan. <laughs> I sound like fucking Uncle Albert, don't I? During the war. Okay, so we're gonna do some. Uh, we're gonna do some letters here. We've got uh, one from. This is from Anthony O'Farrell. Uh, he says, Jeff, how jealous are you of people who've already had the virus? Maybe had a bad dose for a few days. Yeah, just get it, sweat it out. Uh, but now they've recovered and are immune. Um, so first, you asked two questions here, Anthony. I'm pretty sure that I had it. Um, and that might be that if there's any women listening to this now, include my wife, oh, here we go, fucking he thinks he's... Early. But I, I am pretty sure I had it. A lot of the trade market, it sort of followed the pattern of, of 14 days and symptom by symptom. So I, I, I would say in answer is I think I had it and I'm glad that I think that I've had it because it's a lot more... Uh, reassuring to think that you can go through it. I'm also pretty sure that my wife and son had it, but obviously this attacks, you know, this virus is fucking anti-men. Do you know what I mean? It's a, this is a feminist virus. It broadly goes after the blokes. Um, but his second question is, is, do you think that the non-carriers should wear some kind of insignia to show that they've already had it? <laughs> God, this would be a divide, wouldn't it? Forget class divides. Who's had corona? Who hasn't had corona? I think it should be like a real like... You know, like in the Hunger Games, you know, the, um, <laughs> like everyone who's had it can go and live in this like really plush city, citadel sort of thing. And then all the non-havers should have to work out <laughs> in these districts. And we should have some really cool, uh, just a C thing, you know, C plus. And they should all be the C minuses. Um, yeah, I mean, there is danger. They're talking about having some sort of certificate that means that you've had it, which means you can then go back out into the world. Um but is that not open to to abuse 
And we already saw that the celebrities, they seem to have access to these kids. Way, but way before anybody else. You know, they, I mean, they're, you know, they're just like us, but they just happen to be able to get coronavirus testing kits. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think that that is a moral and philosophical minefield. Having said that, as someone who thinks that we have had it, I do think that there should be a two-tier class system in which I'm accorded lots of privileges. Okay, next layer here. This one kind of stands in, in a way, for for mental men's mental health, which I haven't done for a couple of weeks, but it is uh, we've sort of been t- uh, you know sort of um, uh, touching base on this occasionally. This is Chris from West Stamstead, who says, "Should we do the lads Zoom beer things, beers thing? Should we do the lads Zoom beer chat? Yeah, basically, should we do an online social? It just seems like a ball ache." Um, so Chris, yeah, it does seem like a ball ache. We we did one with our, our lads group um, Saturday, just gone. And and I think everyone was a bit, you know, apprehensive about it. And there's something about having women there. You know there's going to be too, <laughs> you know there's going to be conversation, right? If you have a social one, there's some women, like it's never just going to completely dry up because if there's women there, if the ball drops, someone will go, anyway, oh, and they'll just think of something, right? Their brain will, I don't know if it's the anxiety and not being able to sit in silence, but their brain will just throw some kind of gobshite tennis up and they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll run right. And it's a great social thing to be able to do but with men you know like we 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 will be aware of the idea of talking for its own sake and then elect not to talk at all so the thing i would say chris is we i say we i did this my mates did you know i set this up but with their i i think that they all had their own doubts but i I decided to do a little quiz uh about test cricket in the 90s and uh, football in the 90s and just the 90s because the last thing that I really remember in any great detail I think I think a quiz is good I think having a focus if it's an all-male group having a focus to it is good and of course bear in mind you bring in competition immediately means you can say hurtful things about each other insult one another you got the element of competition in there um, so I would recommend it because you, it's one, you know, like men are, men are terrible as they get older for stopping doing things that make them feel better. So whether it's like they DJ at home or they play golf or they've got, they've got a fucking train set. Big shout out to my mate Luke who has who's got a fucking, <laughs> a whole infrastructure in his house. But um, he, he's the, you've got to carry on with that stuff. And, and so it comes right down to the last thing is, you know, you stop socialising with your mates and it, it's not good. This, this is the reason women live longer, right? It's the really reason our own balance happier. Is because they talk to each other. So it doesn't mean that when you talk to each other, you have to actually talk, as in say anything meaningful. It's just seeing someone else's face, isn't it? It's getting reactions. It's chatting shit. And if you can't do any of that, then go on YouTube and look at Romish and Jeff talk about The Mandalorian. There you go. I turned that into a plug. Unbelievable. What most people Final level here is, and I cannot believe that we haven't done this one before. So we're doing the occasional hypothetical fight here in politics. Is... Um, is who would win a fight? It's from Emma Jane from Bedford. Who would win in a fight between Nicola Sturgeon and Ruth Davidson? Now, I know that Ruth, the truth, Davidson, the bulldog... I, by the way, I don't know if many people know that, that Ruth Davidson, uh, is, her uh, nickname is the bulldog, right? Obviously, she's a lesbian. If you don't know, obviously, she's a lesbian. <laughs> if you don't know that she's a lesbian, it could sound like you're saying something quite negative in a pejorative sense about the lesbian community. Now... Okay, so rewind to news quiz, uh, middle of last year. I'm sitting in there and we're talking about Ruth Davidson and I just go, oh yeah, yeah, I love Ruth the Bulldog Davidson. And cue absolute silence, absolute silence, because everyone's basically sitting there thinking, oh, this right winger, 
has just said lesbians all look like bulldogs, right? And I'm like, no, no, that's what she calls herself, which, which weirdly in that situation then sounds like, oh no, they use that word about themselves. You, they use it in rap music, don't they? I'm allowed to. So it was a bit awkward, but. So Ruth, obviously, in this fight, Nicola Sturgeon... I mean, don't get me wrong, Nicola's got the eyes. Do you know what I mean? She'll throw down. She can fight. She can fight. But Ruth Davidson, working class, Glaswegian, grew up on a council estate. I, I'm definitely going to say Ruth Davidson because she's got the same hunger. You know what I mean? But as she's recently become a mum, you know, she does seem a bit softer, a bit less combative. I don't know. Has she, has she lost the passion for it? Has she lost the anger? That's the big question. If you was, if you was looking at the way in here and they're staring at each other, Nicholas still, she's still there, isn't she? She's still in the fight, you know. Still accusing the NHS England of taking PPE that was meant for Scotland, even though it wasn't true. Nicola absolutely disgraced yourself there. Um, I would say, in straight up boxing, we're always talking about boxing here. No, 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 we've talked about street fighting techniques before. I just think Ruth, even though perhaps she's um, a bit out of the game, I think Ruth would eventually, strength would tell, and Ruth would just grind her down a bit, and it would probably end with um, <laughs> Nicholas Sturgeon tacking... <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say. Nicholas Sturgeon tapping out of a chokehold. Okay, that is pretty much the end of the show. I always say it's pretty much the end of the show. Then I always say that. I always say it's pretty much the end of the show. But it is pretty much the end of the show. Um, we read out a couple of um, uh, five-star reviews here. So let's see if anyone got their shit together and reviewed my shows of late. Uh, what have we got here? We've got, uh, we got one from Witty, I think. Jeff is uh, sharp and amusing and a breath of fresh air coming in from the right side of the argument, literally. The last episode posed a hypothetical fight between Rob and Starmer as Jeff and Simon Evans tried to predict the winner. Rob is the third Dan Black Belt at karate. karate. One, only one winner there. I know what you mean, Wee, but I always think that those blokes that know karate, I'm just, I'm just wondering, do you, can you remember that when, when, it, when, when it goes down? Are you... I just feel it's like, you know, when women do self-defence classes, I always think that when it really comes down to it, if they're going to get mugged, it's going to be slappy, slappy, here's my handbag. That's my view. Um, I have, this is from Blank Mediums, which is a strange name. Um, I've finally given in to Jeff's pathetic pining for reviews. Thank you. Uh, it's refreshing to hear a comedian that speaks to me as a younger Tory, not like the majority of left-wingers on the mockers or CO4 or C4. Um, do you just call Mock the Week the Mockers? Oh, that means you are posh, mate. Great to see him live in Verwood. Oh, thanks for coming to the show. That was fun. That was just before the dark days, before the Empire. I uh, wish you could have uh, come to a real place like Poole or Bournemouth so I could have had a few pints. We were allowed to drink in Verwood, mate. Well, you, I mean, there's literally only one place there. But keep up the great podcast and hope to see more of the black T-shirts and the odd polo on TV. I mean, that is pretty much my wardrobe. Um... This is from All My Nicknames Already Taken. Good to hear that this is a regular anecdote to the week. Um, anecdote? Antidote? To the week? Uh, I'd like to hear about your fantasy lockdown down satire hell. Uh, which four other people would be hell for you to be in lockdown with? Uh, if you were sat around the breakfast table with Jeremy Corbyn, Piers Morgan, Owen Jones, Shami Chakrabarti, how would you cope? That, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't look far beyond those four, to be honest. I wouldn't look... The problem with, like... Is who would they'd all be virtue signaling at the same time? That's the problem, isn't it? So it's just it'd be this weird household of people going. Well, I think 
I think, you know, you shouldn't even use Weetabix at breakfast. Even at breakfast, they'd be going, well, I've stopped using almond milk because it turns out almonds have feelings. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, cheers to that. Who would kick off in a battle royale over the Cocoa Pops? Uh, cheers to that, Rich. Um, this is from Paul. Love how funny and accurate Jeff can be at the same time. Finding someone who says the things that you've often thought. It's like being out of your mates on a Friday night. Uh, basically, if your mate was one lonely bloke talking to a microphone on his own. Uh, that's for those who remember when we could be out on a Friday night. It's a must listen. Well, listen, thank you for that, Paul. And uh, yeah, thanks for anyone that's sending in reviews. And like I say, just a final plug. Do check out uh, the Patreon that should be up by Friday. Whatever you, whatever you can give would be greatly appreciated. I love doing this podcast. It'd be nice just to make a few quid from it. I'm not expecting to get rich off of this sort of thing. But if I can do it without advertising, great. If I have to do advertising in the end, you know, then the podcast will have to change a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'll basically be greasing the corporate cock. That'll be <laughs> that'll be what would happen. It would just be every once in a while, just be throwing shit into conversation and go. You just hear me sipping a drink and going, "Hmm, diet coke." I call it joke juice. You know, or just you'd hear me eating, going, mm, "Kit Kat, take a break." When <laughs> I can't think of one for that. I'm still thinking of one for that. Look, we're going to start the theme tune here because I, I don't feel like I can end without a joke. But the truth of the matter is, I do not have a joke for the Kit Kat reference. Can anybody think of a joke for the Kit Kat reference? I can't. I'll tell you something.